0: Welcome to another exciting edition of Chip Chat on Customer Service, where today my guest is Michael Houlihan, and we are going to talk about how we got into the wine business, Barefoot Wine. He and Bonnie started the company. Maybe some of the aha moments a couple of funny stories, and uh, the two-division company. Wow, what's that all about? So stay tuned and on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Chip Chat on Customer Service. And I am just thrilled And excited to have as my guest today, Michael Houlihan, Uh, keynote speaker, uh, workshop leader, avid hiker, co-founder, along with Bonnie Harvey, Barefoot Wine. Awesome story. And also authors of The Barefoot Spirit, How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart built America's number one wine brand. Welcome, Michael.
1: It's great to be here, Chip. Good to see you again. And Michael and
0: I go back. We first met a number of years ago at a SOCAP, a Society of Consumer Affairs conference. And I had the, the luck to be able to have dinner with Michael and get to know he and Bonnie. And it was just a thrill. And I am just excited to have you with me. And and I guess my first question. Michael, is is how did you get in the wine business and, and how did customer
1: service fit in there? You know, it's, it's interesting because we actually, I guess you could say we fell into the wine vat backwards because we weren't really trying to get into the wine business. Uh, it kind of came to us You know, uh, Bonnie and I uh, met in the wine country. We came here because we love it. It's absolutely beautiful. It's close to the ocean. It's one of the more verdant parts of California, just above San Francisco. And, uh, you know, you get sucked into the vortex of whatever the industry is in the town you're living in. And so we got sucked into the wine industry. And You know, I was helping people with subdivisions and working, you know, with the government because I had had a government career. And Bonnie, who I just met, uh, was helping them out with organizing their offices and overseeing their vineyards and whatnot, because that's the kind of uh, work she did. And she came to me one day and she said, you know, I've got a client who's owed $300,000 from a winery that hasn't paid him in three years. I said, well, good luck with that. I sure hope he's got a contract. She says, nope, he's got weight tags and a handshake. I said, well, what do you want me to do about it? I just met this gal. She says, I want you to go up there and talk to the people at the winery and see if you can collect any of the money. And, you know, here, I just met this gal, right? And I was like, what am I going to marry the mob? You know, I got to go lean on these guys for 300 large. I don't have a chance. And sure enough, when I get to the gate, the guard says, I hope you're not here to collect any money because we just filed the chapter 11 this morning. You got to take your ticket and wait your turn. And I went ahead with the meeting anyway. And I sat down with the board of directors, which was all the, you know, secured uh, debtors uh, that, that, that had contracts with the winery. And it wasn't going very far. And I looked out the window and I saw these tanks. And I just, I said, what's in those tanks? And they said, oh, well, that's Cabernet Sauvignon and Sauvignon Blanc wine in bulk. So a red wine and a white wine in bulk. I said, well, that's interesting. I looked out this other one. I'm trying to make small talk because it's going south, you know. (laughs) And I I looked out the other window and I see this thing looks like a big chrome locomotive. And I said, you know, in a handball court. And I said, what's with the chrome locomotive in the handball court, guys? And they said, oh, no, no, no. That's not a chrome locomotive. That's a bottling line. It's a clean room. That's what you're calling a handball court. I said, great. I said, does it work? And they said, yeah, it works. It does 3,000 cases a day. And then it hit me like a chrome locomotive. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. How about this? Why don't we just trade debt for goods and services? And so what we wound up doing, and this is how Barefoot gets started, is we took over a debt for a grower for $300,000 from a bankrupt winery, and they paid us in wine and bottling services. Of course, we didn't have a label. We didn't know anything about marketing. We didn't know anything about distribution. Customer service, that was just a glimmer on the horizon. We had no idea what we were getting into. Well, we go out, we put it all together, you know, we come up with a cute name and, you know, we ask everybody in the industry what to do and everybody not in the industry. We get a lot of great ideas, real clever ideas, and we go out and we start selling it and we can't sell it. And I get really upset because I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is $5, it's gold medal winning wine. Why won't you guys buy it? You know, and I keep beating them up like that. About two years into this of getting basically nowhere, we made some sales, but nothing like what happened. After I discovered customer service, I realized that they didn't care about how good the wine was or how cheap it was. Everybody had a different idea of what was important to them. Like the guy who owned the distributorship, he wanted to have a strategic advantage over the other distributors in his city. And so if I walked in there and said, "Hey, I'm already at this big chain store like MGM or or Publix or Safeway, one of the big Kroger's, you know, and you can handle that traffic here in this town." Well, then he's all for me, right? But now I have to sell a sales manager. Sales manager, he doesn't care about the wine. He doesn't care about the price. He has to make his numbers. So if I say to him, look, I've got a guy that's going to work your territory, and he's going to make sales happen even if your own salesman don't. He's all all for it now. He's all for it, see? So this is an expanded view of customer service. Most people think customer service as like the end user only. And so now we go to the next person. We have to sell the salesperson. Salesperson, he's coin-operated. You know, he wants to know what's in it for him. He wants to know what the commission is, you know, what the bonuses are. So, you know, we tell him. And we also tell him that we have a rep that's going to help make sales even if he does not So he basically doesn't have to do anything. Our guy's going to do it for him. And he's going to get a check. Okay, so now the next guy, we got to sell the retail owner. He doesn't care about how good the wine is. He doesn't care how inexpensive it is. What he cares about is, does it move? Is it a fast mover? Show me some stores that are just like mine where it's moving really fast because my shelf is really expensive and and all this. And then you'd think we'd have it, uh, you know, under control by that time. But no, now we have to sell the clerk, the guy who puts the bottles on the shelf, and the guy who talks to Mrs. McGillicuddy when she comes in and says, what's going to go with my chicken? And so we get if it's Seattle we show up with a Mariners hat, right? <laughs> and if it's Detroit we got a Tigers hat. And and we tell right. him how important he is. And I mean this is customer service on various different levels. And then finally we get to sell the general public. And yes, they care about how good it is and how inexpensive it is if it if it's if it's a good deal for them. And so for that, what we do is we support nonprofits that are in the neighborhood so they can taste it and basically give these people a social reason to go into that store. And we're also providing the store with another form of customer service. We're bringing in customers for them. See, so we're doing all this stuff like some kind of a spider at all these different levels to move this machinery forward. And it took us two years to figure that out because we were so damn stubborn. That's that's amazing.
0: Different levels of customer service to support that end user. So the takeaway there is, what would you say to someone listening to that? What's the key to success across
1: that landscape? I think the key to success is to find out Who is standing between you and your customer, and what do they need to know, and what do you need to do for them? Uh, You know, we tend to come up with ideas and show them to our friends and say, hey, I'd buy that, and they'd say, oh, yeah, that's really cool. That's a really cool logo or whatever, and it's done. It's not done. You might have to go through, in some industries, 10 people. In my industry, it was seven. Other industries, maybe it's only two or three but you'd better find out what everybody wants along the way and service the heck out of them.
0: So you got your start there, but you grew and grew and grew and grew. And and so let's talk about the next step. How did you get so big?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it was once we understood that all sales are local, that took us a long time to figure out because we thought we thought about national sales, right? Um, once we realized that, we we and and other thing is we didn't have a lot of money, thank God, for a big commercial advertising program, and because we didn't, we had to come up with clever ways to sell a product and get the word out, you know, uh, or, you know, you might, you might call it, you know, street smart or, 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 or guerrilla marketing. I don't know. But what we did is we would go into the store and we would interview some of the customers and the owner of the store. And we would find out, what the local nonprofit in that neighborhood was, like say within 10 miles of the store, what's important? Is it clean up the creek? Is it provide a park for the kids after school so they don't get into trouble? You know, what is it? Is it clean up the beach? And so by donating our wine to the fundraisers for those local worthy causes, and not only that, but our guys show up and help And then we take their goals and we put their goals on our bottles in the store, in their neighborhood store. They saw us as a fellow member of their organization. And if they're going to buy wine, they could buy any wine. But they chose to buy wine from the guys who were in their organization. They felt like a a form of loyalty to us. And we felt a form of loyalty to them. So we were providing customer service to the retailer, as I said before, by bringing clients in, but we were also giving customer service to our customers by supporting their worthy causes and helping them with their fundraisers and getting the message out in an arena that they couldn't access, access which was the supermarket or even the independent market.
0: Well, I th- that's a you make a very good point. It isn't just okay, who is the nonprofit? Okay, we'll donate the product. But you also show up to help. And I think that really is that extension of customer service beyond what people would expect. Oh, you're going to help me? Wow, that's awesome. But that helps you too, because you can talk about the product, get people to taste the product. And I think that's really, I, in my opinion, one of the real keys here to how you grew. You went that extra step, that extra mile where people wouldn't expect it. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, for us, it was, you know, it was our passion because, you know, Bonnie grew up in Portland, Oregon, and her whole life she watched the city get infilled. And, you know, when she was a little girl, she could walk right into nature. She couldn't do that anymore. I grew up in San Francisco and Oakland, the same deal. It got infilled and, you know, nature disappeared. So we became really avid conservationists. And so when we got into business, we thought, how are we going to apply this passion to this business? And we were able to discover that it was a form of advertising, that we could actually support nonprofits that were doing conservation work, get the members of that Group to buy our product. I mean, we had no no customers before we showed up uh, at the fundraisers, and then we had members who were going out to the stores and asking for the products. And we did it. We did it city by city. We did it region by region. We did it state by state until we did the entire United States. And I mean, this was hundreds of nonprofits. And so you
0: related to a need of a potential customer, and we're able to lock on on their need by providing the support. That's fantastic marketing. That's, I mean, that really is service to the customer, not just as wine, but also for the community. That's
1: phenomenal. Yes, yes, it is, Chip. And uh, people say, well, you know, are you proud that, you know, Barefoot went on to become, you know, the largest wine brand in the world? I say, no, I'm proud that the acquirers hired us for a year and we showed them how it was that we advertised barefoot through supporting nonprofits and they continued to do so. And they were much bigger than us. So they did a much better job. But I really appreciate the fact that so many nonprofits have been helped by barefoot wines.
0: That That's phenomenal. You know, along the way, um, was there a big aha moment uh, that uh, you could share with us? Maybe a story, something that happened along the way as you journeyed through this uh, this wine country story.
1: Well, you know, uh, we 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 believed in the customer, and we believed in customer feedback. And we didn't have one of those pyramid companies, you know, with the CEO on top, and then the board of directors, and then the various divisions, and and then you know you get into the you know sections and the teams and the groups and the squads. We didn't have that. And, and then somewhere near the bottom is sales, and somewhere near them is customer support, right? Which they they basically look at as complaint resolution. And most of the pyramid companies, it's top down. They come up with an idea, you know. They go to marketing. They say, "How are we going to sell this particular product?" And uh, then the marketing people go to the sales people, and they say, "Okay, here's the marketing program. Execute it." We we just operated the other way. See, because we believed in what we called the two division company, which is all companies there are only two divisions: there's sales and there's sales support. And if you're not in sales, guess what? You're in sales support. It doesn't matter whether you're the CFO, the CEO, the CMO, the VP, or even the P. You are in sales support because that's where your check comes from. So the customer can only give you two things, right? They can give you money for your product, but they can also give you advice and feedback. Now, if that advice and feedback dies at the salesperson level and doesn't get all the way to marketing and all the way to production, then you have products that are going to become uh, obsolete. They're not going to remain relevant. The other thing that the customer can give you, uh, like I said, are funds. But this whole idea of complaint resolution, is it's really silly. And it's how most companies operate. They actually reward their customer service people for solving problems at the lower level and not letting them get up into the tree. And they really need to get up in the tree. They need to get all the way to the top of the tree so the tree can shake from the top. It's a whole lot easier to get your arms around it. So, <laughs> yeah. so what we learned was we, we learned to have a policy in our company, which we called know the need. It's the opposite of need to know. Okay. So, need to know, you say, oh, they don't need to know that. That's marketing will handle that, or that's engineering, they'll handle that. So, what we did is we went to our entire staff every month and we said, okay, we're going to bring the salespeople in. They're going to show up on the screen and they're going to tell you what's good and what's bad about the market. Well, one day, one of these salesmen showed up and he says, well, I got good news and I got bad news. He says, the good news is we've just been approved at Publix. They have over 600 stores in Florida. This is amazing. And so people are cheering and carrying on. And somebody said, "Well, what's the bad news?" He says, Well, the bad news is they put us on the bottom shelf, and nobody's going to see us there. And we've got 30 days to to move X and number of products in in 30 stores, or we're out of there forever. It's a test market, and we're on the bottom shelf. And and now what are we going to do? And so somebody somebody clowned off and said, "Well, we're barefoot. Maybe we should just go after the foot traffic." And everybody thought that was pretty corny and laughed. And Then this one woman stood up and she says, You know, that's not so crazy. What if we got some decals of wine stained footprints and started people on the floor walking step by step down to the wine aisle and then turned them into where barefoot was? And they'd be looking at why the feet, you know, ended there and they would see a sign that said barefoot on the bottom shelf. And so we did that. We did that in. Most of the stores in America, and we, and we were so successful, the stores finally started charging for floor space because they saw what we were doing. But this idea came from the receptionist. And so the aha moment was, look at the brilliance of a person who isn't even in marketing, who has a financial you know, uh, commitment to our company and, and is so glad to be involved, is so glad to be asked, what is your opinion on this, comes up with a brilliant solution. And uh, those those stickers, I'll tell you, they're hard to pull up. You probably got some walking around in Detroit right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think over at the Kroger, I think I saw him over there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, well, that's phenomenal. So how, how do you sales and sales support how do you drive that message through an organization so that you know the CEO the president the COO realize that they are sales support and the driving revenue is coming out of the sales team how do you get that across
1: well you know this is really this is really a program and you know companies hire us to help them do that but basically it comes down to three parts first of all you have to uh overkill on orientation. And what I mean by that is when the person is hired, you hand them a money map. It looks just like a treasure map when you were a kid, right? It looks like a cartoon. And what is it? It shows the person walking along, they come out of the community, they got a buck in their hand, you know, they go into a store, they see our product, they give the buck to the clerk, the clerk takes the buck or 10 bucks or whatever, and uh, gives it to his boss, his boss pays his bills, buys our product from a distributor, the distributor does the same thing, takes the money and buys the product from us, right? Right. And whatever's left over after we pay our bills goes into the pot that pays for salaries, bonuses, vacations, and everything else that that employee wants, whether they're the CEO or the clerk, it doesn't matter. So that's one thing you do is you show them where the money comes from graphically. Okay, so that's really important. Because these people are coming from other companies that they think that the company's got a big rock candy mountain behind their house and they just shovel in the gold and put it in their trunk. You know, if they need a raise, they just ask for it and they get a raise. They don't ever say, gee, you know, sales are down. I better not ask for a raise. So they never think like that. So, so that's the first thing. All right, the second thing that you have to do, I think, is there has to be clear lines of communications be- between customer support. And and I mean, I mean, whatever you call it, I call it customer intel. Some people call it customer service. But the people that are on the phones, answering the 800 numbers, responding to the texts, responding to the emails, those people need to have a clear line of communication that is approved by the CEO that enables them to communicate directly with the other departments. Now, I know that sounds like it should exist, but it doesn't. I've talked to so many companies where the customer service department says, yeah, we know what's wrong with the product, but, you know, we don't want to piss them off upstairs, see? And so, you know, it's like they're, they're afraid that they're going to hurt somebody's feelings, right? And then the, the third thing that you have to do, I think, is uh, you, you you got to remunerate people financially. And I'm talking about how you get paid in a way that reinforces this idea, okay? So so basically, what we did at our company was, you know, we looked for a way to get their attention. Now, obviously, a monthly profit-sharing idea would be great, but you couldn't get those numbers out of the, out of the bean counters fast enough, right? So then we said, well, what's the next thing? It was a quarter. So we said, okay, let's go with a quarter. Right, and so what we did is we said, "Here, here's the deal." Now, I'm not saying do this in your company, but this is one way to do it. This is the way we did it. Okay. The question is, how do you get their attention? How do you, how do you enforce the two division company concept? All right. So, everybody puts their money away for retirement, right in the four hundred one k, and the company may or may not contribute. And so we took that option and we said, "Look, we will contribute twenty five percent." if we do this much, if we do this much more, we'll contribute 50%. If we do this much way more, we'll contribute 75%. If we do this much way, way, way more, why we will match you at 100%. And so now we're getting full value on our dollar. It's not like giving somebody a profit sharing check and then they have all those deductions and they you know, they get their 25 cents and they go whoopee doo, no. This is the full value because it's deferred taxation. And that's the advantage to the corporation that does this. See? And then the other thing that happens is the entire team now. Like they're like, are you feeling lucky, kid? Remember that one from Dirty Harry? You know? <laughs> yeah, right, well, are right. you? Well, how about this? We got a quarter coming up. <laughs> are you feeling lucky, kid? Well, if you are, then you should put some money in your 401k because the company might match it at a hundred percent if you're right. See, so it, it became kind of, we kind of gamed it out that way and people would talk to each other and they'd say, and here's the thing, if you have a bad quarter, it, you're not ruined for the year, right? You're only ruined for the quarter. There's another quarter right there. And that's the beauty of the quarter system. The other beauty of it is, is that, you know, your bean counters can get the numbers to you in time to really make, you know, a, a, a an informed judgment about what to do. So those are the three things. You know, it's, it's the compensation, it's the money map, and it's the clear lines of communication.
0: It's tying the people who are really on the front lines with customers and consumers to, to make it understood that they are important. They drive the company, and that is then driven through the company itself, to support them better, I, I think that's an amazing uh, formula.
1: Oh yeah, and the other thing we did is, if somebody you know, like in the case of the receptionist, I mean, she's a seventy five year old woman that came up with this idea. You know, we write an we write an email and we say, uh, you know, um, Charlene came up with this great idea. We've used it all over the country. Uh, you know, we're so glad that she you know is is interested in solving some of our problems in the field. Um, And now everybody in the company gets copied on that memo. So here we have top management getting public in writing about the value of a particular individual. So now everybody in the company knows two things. They know who this person is. They have more respect for her. And not only that, but all of a sudden they're going, hey, if I act like Charlene, I'm going to get this kind of attention. And Charlene is thinking, if I do this again, I'm going to get this. And remember, people work for four reasons. And number two is to be recognized.
0: Absolutely correct. You know, we're just about out of time, but I I, I want you to tell that story about that delivery you made. I I think that was in uh, South Carolina or wherever, and uh, you were getting out of the car and it was raining. I, I, I want to kind of, End on that one. And then we'll talk about it in another session, but relate that story to everybody.
1: Okay, so you know, I'm a Californian, you know, what do I know about the southeastern United States, right? Except that it's pretty damn hot and sweaty down there. And so, you know, I drive into this piggly wiggly store in uh Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, you know, I park in the back of the lot because Because customer service and sensitivity and soft skills says if you park your car up in front, you're taking one of those slots that's meant for a customer, and you already got one strike against you when you walk in because the boss knows that you selfishly parked in front. So, But now that you're on the other side of the lot, you got to cross the lot. And, you know, I, I got this sign in my hand that's a foot, and it's about five feet high and five feet wide. And uh, it's just this giant red foot, and the idea is we're going to promote barefoot with this giant red foot inside the store. And so I start walking across the parking lot, and this clerk uh, who's who's uh, banging carts and you know pushing them, he just stops this big line of carts, and he starts running, and he goes by me, and he says, "You better run, Mister." And I said, what? And I all of a sudden, I heard a boom in the sky, you know, and I felt it in my lungs, and it almost knocked me flat. And I couldn't believe it. All of a sudden, it started raining, and it wasn't just like, you know, California rain. This was like <laughs> southeastern <laughs> tropical downpour, you know, monsoon. And I mean, my pockets on my sport coat were filled with water by socks. I was soaking wet. Plus the wind picked up and I'm holding on to the sign and it's blowing me around like a square rigger in the lot, left and right, left. And the people in the store, they've stopped checking. They're looking out and they see this. So it becomes like the comic scene of the day. I finally get in the store and it's dead silence. They see me come in and I'm standing there in front and I'm dripping uh, water all over the place. And all I hear is over the loudspeaker, wet mop. Up front, and that's me. I know that Mopsy. So I mean somebody came up with a bucket and started. And then this guy comes up to me, this southerly gentleman, you know, and he's obviously the manager of the place, and he walks up and he says, Now, son, I know you got something to sell me, and I know you want to sell it real bad. And so that's how got into Piggly Wiggly. But it was that kind of customer service and, you know, respect (laughs) for, you know, the rules.
0: (laughs) That is just, well, it just goes to show the extent that you can go to, to make an impression, especially when you're looking to provide great customer service. Let me ask you this, Michael, how does someone get in touch with you if they'd like to talk to you further? What's the best way to, to really contact you?
1: they should go to www.thebarefootspirit.com. And that's barefoot, B-A-R-E, like naked, right?
0: That's absolutely right. Um, You know, I'd like to to schedule you for another chip chat on customer service, maybe even to talk a little more about this two-division company, because I think that's a key ingredient for success on the customer service line. Would
1: you be open to that? Yeah, you know, we say, uh, how how can you say you put the customer on top when you put sales and customer service on the bottom?
0: I, I am right with you there. You're talking my language. We will wrap this session up on another chip chat on customer service. Michael, thank you so very, very much. Very informative, very interesting as usual. And I look forward to the next session. Wow, that was great. As we heard from Michael Houlihan, co-founder of Barefoot Wine, how customer service was the key to their success. Customer service for the customer, the consumer, and the employees. So join us for part two when we talk with Michael more about the two-division company model and how soft skills are an important part of that equation. So that's a wrap for another edition of Chip Chat on customer service. If you'd like to email me, Chip, uh, I'm at Podcast at gmail.com or follow me on Facebook and Instagram, The Chip Chat Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and we'll
1: see you soon.